in October of 2010, uh, there was a mobile application published by uh, two men named Kevin Sistrom and Mike Krieger. And uh, within two months of that uh, application being published, uh, it had one million registered users. Uh, and uh, less than a year uh, later, it had 10 million uh, and they decided to call this mobile application kind of a, a mashup of instant camera and telegram, and they decided to call it Instagram. Uh, and uh, less than two years after it had been founded, they sold the company to Facebook for $1 billion. Uh, think about that. Two-year-old company uh, worth a $1 billion, 100 million users on the platform. Uh, and uh, within common uh, vernacular uh, in social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, there has come a new phrase that has entered into the uh, American language of, I follow them. Uh, and what you mean when you say that is not you are literally walking behind them. Uh, it means that you are subscribing to their online user profile, that you follow, you see what it is they are posting. Uh, and people now are trying to always grow the number of followers that they have. Uh, and also, uh, this idea of your identity of how popular you are uh, is based upon the number of followers that you have. And, and now you can sit and you can follow people simply by moving your thumb up and down on a digital screen. Uh, and that is what uh, the world today knows or most frequently as I follow somebody. Now, and while it's very casual and non-committal to follow somebody on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, uh, what we're going to see today is that to follow Jesus uh, requires much, much more. Uh, and following Jesus is different than just following somebody uh, in a non-committal, casual way. Now, and what we're seeing today uh, as we come to, to John chapter 1 uh, are the first followers of Jesus coming uh, to him. Uh, but as we're speaking about following Jesus, what does it mean? Uh, I'm not speaking of uh, just looking at his online Twitter posts. Uh, I'm speaking about uh, being a disciple of Christ. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus means to be a disciple. Uh, and to be a disciple just simply means to be a learner. Uh, disciples were, uh, were individuals who attached themselves to a, a particular teacher. And that they would follow his example, that they would follow his teaching. Uh, they wanted to learn the way that he lived and then emulate him. And today what we're going to see is Jesus' first followers. Uh, and uh, one pastor has defined a disciple of Jesus in this way. He says that a disciple of Christ is one who has heard the call of Jesus and has responded by repenting, believing the gospel, and now is following Jesus. Uh, and that's what we will see this morning in verses uh, 35 to 42 in John uh, chapter 1. Uh, and as we, uh, as we come to this portion of Scripture, we're in the middle of a very important week, uh, as we've seen in the past. This is the, 
the first week that we see in the ministry of Christ. And it overlaps with the ministry of John the Baptist. Now we saw, if you uh, look at chapter 1, verse 19, the beginning of this week, day 1, that John faced a delegation uh, of Jewish leaders coming up from Jerusalem to question him uh, about his ministry and his person. Who are you and what do you think you're doing in baptizing people uh, who are already have a relationship with God? What are you doing baptizing Jews? Uh, is in essence what they're saying. And then the, the second day, John is speaking with his disciples. The second day is in verse 29. And John identifies Jesus. He sees Jesus walking towards him. He's with his disciples. He says, that right there, this one is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. So day one, with uh, the Jewish delegation sent to question him, Jesus is saying, hey, there's somebody who, here who is more important than I am, and you need to meet him. Day two, he's going to say, hey, look, there he is. And then day three, which we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is, or John the Baptist is going to imply that his disciples now need to follow Jesus. So here he is, look at him, and then follow him. And the first portion of, of this chapter uh, has been very much about doctrine. Uh, as we've looked at the Gospel of John, we've said uh, we not only need to believe in Jesus, uh, it matters that we believe in Jesus, but it also matters what we believe about Jesus. And so, mo- so far, what we've seen is what we need to believe about Jesus, who he is, what he will do. We've also seen so much about the world about ourselves, about the the call to salvation, to believe and trust in Jesus. And everyone who does believe in his name will be considered a child of God. We saw that in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So we've seen so much doctrine so far in this chapter. And, And now what we're going to see in this section and in the section to follow next week is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, what we've seen so far and what we will see in John chapter 1 is the doctrine that we are to believe and the discipleship that we are to claim. What we are supposed to do as we follow Christ. But if we are disciples and followers of Jesus, what does our teacher require of us? What does he want us to do? What demands does he lay upon our lives? And, and what we will see in these verses is the first interactions that Jesus has with the disciples that he's going to call later on, as we read earlier uh, in our scripture reading. But look with me now, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard Jesus speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, 
which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So as we, as we look at this passage, we see these first disciples coming to Jesus. We're going to see the nature of faith. Now, how it begins, how it grows, what does it look like to walk in faith following Christ as our teacher, as our master? So we could ask of this text, how does, how does our faith progress? How does it grow little by little? Because the, the understanding that the disciples have right now of Jesus is very limited. Uh, and it begins uh, by somebody else pointing to him and simply saying, hey, that's the Lamb of God. That's all they know about Jesus at that point in time. And now they're going to say, okay, well, let me go and follow him and learn about him. So what we're going to see is how our faith progresses. And in this passage, we'll see that there's three stages to a growing faith in Christ. We see that faith begins as we hear about and follow Jesus. Faith grows as we come and see who Jesus is. And then faith multiplies as we go and tell others about Jesus. But let's look first at this at this first stage that we see in verses 35 to 37 that faith begins as we hear about and follow Jesus. Uh, as we as we saw in those verses that uh, John the the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples and then he says, "Hey, now you need to to follow him. He, that's the implication of what he says of, hey, there he is. He repeats what he said in verse 29. Uh, and this pointing out of Jesus by John the Baptist is going to, I guess, help us to better understand what was in our scripture reading. How many of you have ever read that, that portion in Matthew or Mark or Luke where uh, the disciples are there fishing with their father? Uh, they're there at, at work, and then Jesus walks by immediately and says, hey, Leave everything that you have and come and follow me. And you're like, wow, well, if that's the very first introduction that they have to Jesus, uh, my typical response would probably be like, who are you? Uh, what, what is it you're, you're talking about? And what we see here in, in John's gospel, and in, to a certain extent, John's gospel helps to us to develop a chronology of the life of Christ because he, he's going to hinge certain events upon the, the feasts of Israel. So we have a very clear understanding of the timeline of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and what we see here is this first interaction between Jesus and these two, two pairs of fishermen brothers. We, we see uh, Andrew is the brother of Simon Peter here. Uh, and we also see uh, the unnamed disciple in this passage is going to be uh, the Apostle John. Uh, and we see that their initial call uh, from Jesus is, is here in this passage and uh, elsewhere they are called to a formal ministry. And it's interesting that John's gospel emphasizes these, this first interaction of the, the beginning stages of faith. Of it. Jesus didn't immediately call them into formal ministry. He first called them to a, a smaller step. Uh, come and see uh, is what he's going to call them to. Uh, but all of this begins with John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointing out to his disciples. They were uh, those who had attached themselves to him. They said, hey, we want to follow you, John. And then John uniquely uh, says, hey, you shouldn't be following me. Now is the time where you need to begin to, 
to follow Christ. Uh, and we're introduced to these two disciples, uh, the first disciples. Uh, and it's interesting that in verse 35, they're not given a name, but one of them is given a name later on. Verse 40, we see that uh, Andrew uh, is the brother of who? Simon Peter. That's what happens when you have a famous brother. You're always the brother of so-and-so. Uh, and, and so Andrew's introduced to us, and we're going to see more about him later. And then, uh, again, as I mentioned, the, the second disciple that is here is not, not identified. He's not given a name. Uh, and it is highly likely, more than likely, that this unnamed disciple is John the Apostle. Uh, because think about it with me for a second. If you are uh, John, the author of this gospel, and you are writing to establish witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done, wouldn't that be an important detail to, to, to write in there of who is the second disciple? Who is the other eyewitness that can verify what took place that day? See, John never mentions himself when he writes this gospel, and that fits uh, with this scene here. Uh, and uh, if he is not this person, how did he know about this interaction? So all of the evidence points to uh, John the Apostle being uh, the unnamed disciple here. And so we have this, this very simple proclamation of John the Baptist, one that he is repeating from uh, verse 29 uh, in the previous paragraph. And then there is an emphasis upon what the two disciples do. So John the Baptist speaks... And what do the two disciples do? Number one, they hear. And secondly, they follow. Uh, and that is the, that is the emphasis. Uh, that they hear what was spoken by their current teacher, John the Baptist, and then they begin to follow after Jesus. Uh, and they followed him literally. Uh, that's the, 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 the word can be used yeah, to literally follow somebody, to walk behind them. And we see that that's exactly what happened because uh, in uh, verse 38 it says, Jesus turned. He turned and looked behind him and says, hey guys, what's up? Uh, to a certain extent, he's going to say, why are you literally following me? But when it says that they, these two disciples began to follow Jesus, there's also a greater connotation to that. As I mentioned, this, this idea and concept of following is what was used to describe a learner, a disciple with his teacher, with his master. And with this statement, that John the Baptist makes, that, hey, this is the Lamb of God, he's going to, in essence, hand the, the baton of ministry over to Jesus. That John the Baptist is going to fade from our story. He's going to pop up one more time in John chapter 3. But for the most part, he's going to, to disappear. He's not going to be a, a character in the narrative of John's gospel anymore because he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was called to, to point out who the Messiah was, and then he was called uh, to identify and point the disciples, his disciples, to him. And that is what we see. And so on a, on a certain human level, Andrew and John, these first disciples, are indebted to John the Baptist for bringing them to Jesus. Now, and if you were to, to pause for a moment and just think about your own personal testimony, See, we all come from, from different walks of life and different backgrounds. But we all have one thing in common in our personal testimonies. There was somebody who came into our lives and shared the gospel with us. 
Now, there was somebody who, who came and spoke the truth, who pointed out Jesus to us and says, hey, you need to know him. Just like John the Baptist pointed out Jesus to these first disciples. Uh, and and he, as each of us had Jesus pointed out to us, from that point we also see a, a turning in our lives. And when we truly begin to uh, become disciples of Jesus, the first beginning points of faith, the, the first steps are to hear a, a message about Jesus and then to do what? To follow. To, to begin to go and look more closely at who Jesus is. Uh, and for, for some of us, we may have testimonies uh, that we heard the gospel once and we understood it. And we immediately repented uh, and accepted Christ and began to follow him. For others of us, uh, it wasn't that quick of a turn. We needed to hear the gospel multiple times. We had to to mull it over, to to contemplate, to to count the cost. Am I really going to believe in Jesus? Am I really going to trust that he is the Son of God, the only hope that I have for salvation? See, for some of us, the process of conversion, of repentance and faith was like uh, turning a bicycle or turning a vehicle. For others, it took longer. It's like turning around a semi-truck. And for some, it may even be you're turning around an ocean liner. Uh, it took a long time for the Lord to, to grab a hold of your heart and, and draw you to him. And what is amazing is in the moment... We didn't understand what God was doing. But as we look back now, what are we able to see? We are able to see God beginning to work in our hearts, in our lives, to draw him, to draw us to him. And that's what we see here. As John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, he's the Lamb of God. And the disciples take those initial steps of hearing and then following. We see the beginning of faith. And those are, those are steps that uh, we are all called to take. Now, there may be some here who are weighing what Christ has said about himself. You, you are evaluating, trying to decide, is this really the person that I want to believe in? And I would encourage you to take these small steps of faith. Do as these disciples did. They began to act on the limited knowledge they had of Jesus. Small steps forward, literally, as they followed Christ. That is how faith begins, by hearing and following. Next, we see how faith grows in verses 38 and 39. Read along with me. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What we see in these two verses is that faith grows as we come and see who Jesus is. As I mentioned, they were literally following Jesus, and then Jesus turns around and says, How can I help you? What is it that you are seeking? And that's a simple question that he asks, right? What are you seeking? 
Uh, and really, he could be saying, what is it that you'd like to speak to me about? Because it's obvious that you want to speak to me. You're following me awkwardly. Uh, so what is it you want to say? That's, that's one part of what he's saying. But then also because uh, of the way that it fits into this narrative and the Apostle John, as he writes his gospel, he loves to, to use words with double meanings. So, so on the one hand, it seems that Jesus is saying, hey, what is it you want to talk to me about? And on the other hand, it seems like Jesus is saying, what is it that you are seeking in life? What is it that you want? What is it that you want to pursue? So this is a simple question, but it's a very challenging question. And the disciples give, give a response and they show respect uh, and honor to Jesus using the title, uh, which John translates for us because he's writing this to uh, also those who are not Jews, who may not understand the background of this title, Rabbi. Uh, And uh, typically, again, it's translated as teacher, but the word is literally the idea of my great one or my Lord or my sir. Now, that is what is being communicated. It's very much a title of honor. And they say, Rabbi... Where are you staying? And again, John uses another word that's going to be a a very much theological significance throughout the rest of his gospel. He uses this word, this idea of abiding or remaining. Uh, And we're going to see it later in John 15 and elsewhere. But it says, where are you staying? Uh, and, And asking that, it's not that they just want to go and see where he's staying and be like, oh, Okay, well, I'm glad I know where you stay now. Uh, What they are wanting is a longer conversation with him. They want to know more about Jesus. That's why they were taking those initial steps of following him. So they make this request, this, this question of, Hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? And again, Jesus' response is profound. What's also interesting is these are the first words of Christ that we see in the gospel. The first words of Jesus in this gospel are an invitation to these two disciples and an invitation to every person who's read this since then. For us to do what? To come and see. This was an, an invitation for them to visit with him. Inviting him, inviting them where he was staying. And this invitation is also uh, a command. That, that word come is an imperative. And the, the next little statement, come and you will see. A future tense that carries the same idea of a command. Because grammatically speaking, you can use a future tense to express something that will happen. Matthew 22, verse 37 Jesus speaking, he says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So Jesus uses the future tense to express what we shall do. You will do this. Elsewhere, he says, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. That's future tense. That is what Jesus is calling to. And so when he says, come and you will see what he is saying is, Come. That's a command. And if you come, and I, and I want you to come, you will see who I am. That is what Jesus is saying to them. 
So the disciples ask this question. Jesus extends this invitation. And it says, so they came and saw where he was staying. And then they stayed. They came, they saw, and then they remained with Jesus. Again, this is the the, the core uh, words for discipleship are seen here. Uh, This is what we are called to do. And what's interesting is that uh, even the time of day is noted, which again indicates that this was John the Apostle, who was this second uh, unnamed disciple, because he he knows even the smallest details of what time uh, they were with Jesus and where they were. And they realized that it was getting late in the day. Uh, and it was about 4 p.m. And at that point in time, uh, in history, as soon as uh, daylight began to wane, you had to go and figure out where you were staying that night. If you if you were not at home, you said, I got to figure this out. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, and so because it was late, uh, it wasn't the type of conversation that you could just start and then end and then walk home in the dark. So they remained with Jesus for the rest of that day. And and what we see them doing and, and taking up Jesus' invitation for them to come and see. They are moving into this next progression of faith, that their faith is going to grow. That they come and they have this conversation with Jesus. And again, how, how cool would it be to get to sit down and do that? Just to go and, and have a conversation with Jesus that could last long into the night? How amazing, what a blessing that would be. And and this next step of faith, of coming and seeing, beholding who Jesus is, that's paramount to our spiritual growth. What's interesting is I have heard multiple stories of of people who were atheists, people who, who hated God, and who set out to disprove Christianity. And because they they were so adamant, and but I want to disprove Christianity, so I'm going to go look in the Bible and and find out all of its errors and and, and disprove everything. And many of those people, as they have sought to disprove Christianity, have actually come to know Christ. Because unknowingly, they came and they saw who Jesus was. Uh, An author, a journalist, famously, uh, Lee Strobel, uh, who wrote the book, The Case for Christ. Uh, he was a journalist who set out to, to disprove Christianity. And as he started reading the Bible, he said, hey, this is true. Everything that I would want uh, to, to prove whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, is here. I got eyewitness accounts. I got historical references. I have all of the evidence I need to see and believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. There have been many others as well, me among them. I was one who was hostile to Christianity. Wanted nothing to do with it because of how I had grown up. And yet little by little, there was a a family that took me into their home, began to to point me to Jesus, and I just began to read the Bible. I said, hey, maybe, maybe I need to find out a little bit more about this person. I began to read the Bible, and I began to see that everything I had grown up in wasn't true was not true in genuine Christianity, but the Jesus that I saw in the pages of Scripture. That's the one I want to believe in, that I want to to serve, who is my only hope. 
in life and in death. Another individual who, in his attempt to disprove Christianity, came to know Christ is a man named Stan Telchin, who was a traditional Jewish father whose daughter Judy one day informed him that she had come to faith in Christ. A friend at college had given her a Bible and helped her to study it with the result that she believed. And despite knowing that her family would be bitterly opposed to her conversion, Judy nonetheless spoke to her father in words similar to those used by Andrew in his witness to his brother Simon. She said, I believe that the Bible is the word of God and I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Then she gave her parents New Testaments saying, read the Bible for yourself and find out whether it's true or not. And so her dad, Stan, felt utterly betrayed. Judy's conversion to Christ was worse than if she had gotten pregnant or been kicked out of school. But he loved his daughter, and he and his wife could not help noticing the positive changes in her life. So he took up her challenge to read the Bible, determined to prove her wrong. And instead he found that Jesus' invitation is true. And as he studied the Bible, his eyes were opened by the Lord. And he saw for himself that Jesus is the Messiah. And he went on to have a powerful evangelistic ministry among Jews. Wrote a book called Betrayed that has been used mightily by God to bring others to faith. And that's the beauty of Scripture. When we read Scripture... Even as we come together right now to worship God together, to open up his word, to study it, we are coming and seeing Jesus. We get to come and see who he is, what he is calling us to. And we see that this invitation that he issues, this, the first words in the Gospel of John, are simply for us to come to him with a warm invitation to come see him, to know him. And this invitation, as I said, is, is extended to all people at all times, in all places. An invitation to come and see him, know him, the one who is the Lamb of God, the one who was slain for you, who was the sacrifice for your sins. Come and get to know him. That is his invitation. And what we also see in this call of Jesus is not just that, it's not just knowledge. Everything that we have looked at so far in, in John's gospel is of vital importance. You have to know that Jesus is the uncreated creator of everything. That he is God and yet he was also with God. You have to know and understand all of that, but then there also has to be a relationship with Him. That is the nature of our faith. It's not just a call to, to memorize and know facts. It's a call to a relationship. Jesus says to all of us, Come and see. And these are simple commands, and this is, what, this is what Jesus first requires of anybody who wants to follow Him. Just come and behold Him. And coming to him, seeing him, will grow you in your faith. It will have an impact upon your life. Again, that's where no matter where we are in this progression, what we'll see this morning is we are called to continue. 
to take those next steps of faith. If you've only heard about Jesus, well, now you're called to start following Him. If you're following Him little by little, then see Him, behold Him in His Word. See who He is. And in this last stage in the the progression of faith that we will see this morning is that faith multiplies as we go and tell others about Jesus. And this is seen in verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And again, we're not told all of the details of the conversation that took place between Jesus and these disciples. I wish we had it, but we don't. We don't have the details, but we see the results. And what were the results in Andrew's life? Well, he says, I have to tell others. I have to go find my brother. I have to find Simon and, and bring him to Jesus. And there's a, a little bit of, I guess, ambiguity in these verses. Of uh, As I've studied, there, there's multiple views on when Andrew went out to find his brother. Some people look uh, and see uh, a new day starting in verse 40. That, they, that the two disciples spent the night uh, with Jesus, conversing with him, asking. And then the, the very next day, day four, uh, Andrew went out and found his brother. And then that would make verse 43, which begins the next day, would be uh, day five. And again, there, there's, there's a division between... Uh, you know, pastors and scholars uh, on whether it's a new day or if it's the same day. If, if, if as soon as Andrew figured out, hey, I'm going to have this amazing conversation with, with Jesus, I'm going to go and grab uh, my brother, uh, Simon. Uh, and ultimately, that's not necessarily the point on what day it happened. The point is that Andrew did what? He brought Peter, his brother, to meet Jesus. Uh, and what's amazing is Andrew is, is mentioned uh, three times in, in John's gospel. And each time he's mentioned, he is bringing somebody to meet Jesus. So we see uh, here he's bringing his brother. In John chapter 6, he brings a, a young boy uh, who has a lunch and people are hungry. So Jesus is going to use that young boy's lunch to multiply, multiply the loaves and the fishes. And then also in John chapter 12, there's a, a group of Greek uh, men who want to come and meet Jesus. That, and Andrew is the one who, who comes and introduces them uh, to Christ. Uh, and, and notice what, what Andrew says to his brother. Because he first found his, his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. We have found him. And there's a, a special Greek tense used there that indicates that there was a one-time action that has ongoing results into the present. That we have found the Messiah. 
And the, again, the implication of the, the plural tense uh, says it doesn't say I have found uh, the Messiah. He says we have found the Messiah, indicating also that uh, the person who's writing this gospel, John, also believed. The other disciple who was with Jesus in that conversation, they have both come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. And and John is the only one of the, the four gospel authors to use that term. All the other authors use the Christ. Uh, but he uses the, the Messiah. And there's uh, there is much to debate on how much did the did the disciples know at this point in time? How much did they understand about who the Messiah truly was and what he was going to do? Did they just see him as, hey, here's the person who's going to rescue us from the Romans? Or did they see and understand that he was going to be their salvation, the one who would die on their behalf? And so we see Andrew coming and making this declaration to his brother. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas. And what's amazing here is, again, if you're, if you're Peter, you just met Jesus, and what is he already doing? He's already giving you a new name, which, which highlights a couple of things. Number one, the authority of Christ, because he can name whomever he wants. Harkens back to in the Old Testament when, when God gives a new name to Abram and to Sarai. He says, hey, you will now be called Abraham and you will now be called Sarah. And uh, he identifies Peter as the son of John. Well, because at this point in time in history, there weren't any last names. So you were identified uh, by where you were from, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, you were identified by uh, what your occupation was, Simon the Zealot, uh, or you were identified by who your father was. He says, uh, Peter, you are the son of, or uh, Simon the son of John, but now you shall be called Cephas. Uh, the word that means rock. And it's interesting because if you're familiar with Peter in the Gospels, he is anything but stable and steady. Uh, he is volatile, uh, unstable, unreliable. He just speaks kind of before the words hit his brain, they hit his tongue, and they just come out. Uh, that, that's Peter. But So why does Jesus give him this name? Because he knows that what Peter is at that point in time is not what Peter will always be. Because when, when we come and we see who Jesus is, he begins to work in our lives to transform us, to make us more and more like himself. And so Peter is named not of who he is at that moment, but who Jesus is going to make him into. Which is pretty amazing and encouraging that Christ has plans for these disciples who are just coming to him. And what's amazing is how Andrew is used by God. Andrew's the first disciple that we see. But he's not the most famous one. And he's not the one that God used in the greatest way. Again, his, his, his brother is far more famous than he is. His brother became the leader of the early church. And yet it was Andrew 
who was used by God to bring his brother to Jesus. And oftentimes, as we are out, as we are going and proclaiming the gospel, as we are sharing with others, we don't necessarily know how God is going to use us or how God is going to use the people uh, that we share the gospel with. Here's a story of a, uh, a, an English monk uh, who was nicknamed Little Bilney because he was short. Uh, and Bilney uh, had been influenced by Martin Luther's books. Uh, and he was an early uh, promoter of the Protestant Reformation in England, even before it had really taken hold. Uh, and he, Bilney knew that he wasn't very gifted. He didn't really see how the Lord could use him. But there was uh, another man that he saw, uh, a priest uh, named Stephen Ridley, uh, that he saw and he said, maybe God can use him. Uh, and so uh, Bilney conspired and said, well, you know, what? I don't know how to share the gospel with this priest. Uh, so let me go and let me go tell him I need to share confession. So he, he went in and spoke with, uh, with Ridley, shared confession. And while in the confessional, he shares the gospel with Stephen Ridley, and this priest comes to faith. And then Stephen Ridley becomes one of the leaders in the English Reformation and is actually martyred for his faith. And yet little Bilney, because he he went out and acted in faith, didn't know how the Lord was going to use him to impact an entire nation. And that's the beauty of evangelism. It's the beauty of what God has called us to do. He's called us to come and see, and then once we see and behold Jesus, we are called to go and tell. And we leave the results up to God. We don't know what He's going to do, how He's going to use our proclamation. He may use us as mighty evangelists, or He may use us to save one or two people. But we don't know what the end result is going to be. We see this in the life of this man, Little Bilney. We see this in the life of Andrew, who introduced Peter to Jesus and then kind of again disappeared into the background. And the greatest gift that anyone can receive is the gospel message. And if that's the greatest gift that anybody can receive, it is also the greatest gift that we can pass on to anybody else. And what we see in these early disciples, that as they took these steps of faith, as they, uh, they heard and they followed, they came and they saw, and then they, they went and they told others. And when we truly believe, when we truly come and see Jesus for who he is, what happens within us? We get in excitement. We see, we see the great need of those around us. I can't wait to share about Jesus to others because I know how he's made an impact upon my life. And we're willing to go in and take steps of faith. And it does take a step of faith to go and share the gospel, doesn't it? And, and who are the most difficult ones to share the gospel with? Your family. Say, well, maybe strangers. Actually, it's easy with strangers because at the end of the day, you probably won't see them again. It's easy to go and, and, and say something without any consequences and then, okay, I'm going to go. But if you share the gospel with your family, what might happen? They might hold you to what you're saying. And they know your life. Say, so how can you tell me that? You're, you're not transformed. 
You're not following Christ. So even within evangelism, even as we grow as uh, disciples of Christ, we follow Jesus, evangelism encourages us towards holiness. Because we know that's going to be one of the first things someone says to us. Well, what about your life? How are you living? But these are the steps of faith that Jesus calls us to. Little by little, this is how our faith grows. And this is little by little how Jesus is going to disciple those who are following him. And again, no matter where we are in the process, we can begin to take those next steps. If you've heard about Jesus, follow him. If you are following him, truly look upon him. Come and see who he is in his word. I read something this week pastor who's been uh, a discipler of men for for a long long time and he said there's pretty much a one-to-one correlation of uh, a man who's growing in his faith and a man who is reading his bible a man who's walking in holiness and a man who's reading his bible because every time we read the scriptures we are coming we are beholding seeing jesus and what he is calling us to we're to come and see and then we are to to go and tell. And what's amazing is, is here in this passage, we see how Christianity has been passed on for the last 2,000 years. See, there are many famous uh, Christian missionaries that you might be able to, to name, that you might be inspired by, and they are inspiring to, to go to another uh, country to learn the language, to learn the culture, and to try and reach uh, lost people with the gospel. It's profound, and it takes much faith. But also understand, just as significant as that missionary going overseas is you sitting down with your neighbor, you sitting down with your child, with a brother, a sister, a parent. That is how the gospel has been passed on for the last 2,000 years. Person to person, as the gospel has been shared relationally, one-on-one. Everyday evangelism is just as important as the great missionary pushes in church history. Pastor John MacArthur says this regarding Evangelism he says most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because of the influence of an individual. In the overwhelming majority of new believers' testimonies, they tell us they came to Christ primarily because of the testimony of a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, or a friend. There's no question that the most effective means for bringing people to Christ is one at a time on an individual basis. And that is what, as we reflect just in our own lives, I can't tell you how thankful I am for the people that that brought me into their home, that shared the gospel with me, that took the time to answer my questions who allowed me to to wrestle with faith. They were patient with me as I took small steps. 
And ultimately, the Lord called me to serve him, to, to preach his word, to proclaim the gospel. But you all have that same calling as well with your friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. And God can use you in a mighty way. And how much more can he use us collectively in the Treasure Valley? Amen? God wants to use us to pass on the gospel just as he did. These two disciples, now suddenly there's more disciples because they understood, they came and saw who Jesus was and then they went and told others about him. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that you are a saving God. Lord, and we are so humbled that you allow us to be a part of your message of salvation. Lord, we are but the messengers. We are but those who proclaim what you have given to us. Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus extended that invitation to us. Come and see, he says. And Lord, may that always be our desire, to come and see you more, to know you more intimately, to follow you more closely. Lord, may we all come and see, and then, Lord, may you work in our hearts, strengthen us, give us courage, and then give us opportunities to go and tell to go and speak about Jesus to others, that we might carry forth the message of salvation, the gospel, that we are sinners desperately in need of someone to pay for the penalty that we cannot pay. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to earth, for dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And now you invite us to come and see you, to trust in you completely. And Lord, may we follow you faithfully, growing in our faith, taking little steps at a time. Lord, we pray that you might use us in a profound way to bring glory, honor, and praise to your name and to bring others to know Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.